Good morning all. We're on, we're good. Great to be with you again. My name's uh, Todd. I'm the uh, lead pastor of this church, which is a great pleasure to be. And after you've all just sat down, I'm going to say, please hop up and turn around and say hello to somebody and tell them the real meaning of Christmas is Jesus Christ who's born with us today. So hop up and say hello and say that to somebody nearby you. Okay, you can grab your seats now when you're ready. Feel free to continue that conversation on afterwards over a cup of tea or coffee or a biscuit. Brilliant, lovely. Good to catch up, isn't it, and say hello. Great thing about being community and being together. Confidence. Confidence is a great thing, isn't it? When you've got confidence, it um, gives you hope and it gives you strength and it sort of gives you the desire and the will to be able to move forward and it sort of gives you, a, um, I guess, an air of positivity as well when, you, when you're confident about something. Confidence is a really, really great thing, a very strong thing, a very powerful thing in our lives. We're going to think about that today as we think about... Um, Here we are, sort of the last Sunday of 2019, approaching 2020, and even a new decade. We're going to think about confidence as we, how we are going to approach this new year coming. Please, if you've got your Bibles, though, come with me to Psalm 91, and uh, we'll see confidence as we work through Psalm 91 today. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honour him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Heavenly Father, we are so glad and grateful that we can come this morning, Lord, freely to open up your word and to allow you to speak to us through that today. We ask and pray now the Holy Spirit, you would. You would come and speak to us through Psalm 91. Uh, to reveal to us that God is our confident hope and trust in this world. That, Lord, there is nothing else that we can truly put our hope and confidence in that will carry us through eternity except you and your Son and what he has done for us. So we ask now this morning, Holy Spirit, reveal that to us, I pray, uh, through Psalm 91 this morning. We ask, God, that, that you would do this for your glory and for our good, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a very stirring psalm, Psalm 91, if you read that, isn't it? It's a psalm written here for our inspiration and our confidence as we read through those words there that the psalmist has written a few thousand years ago. Uh, Most of the scholars uh, feel this was a psalm written for the army uh, as they were about to go out for battle. And I guess as you read through that there, you might have seen some of the imagery that might have been correlated to an army scene or a battle scene there. So this psalm is written here to inspire the army, we believe, as they go out. And I guess in the rigours of battle, uh, there'll be many challenges they'll have to face. Uh, There'll be lots of things if you're going out to war or going out to fight that'll produce fear and anxiety as you go out and you face the enemy. There'll be lots of difficulties that'll throw up all sorts of concerns and uncertainty. So here the writer uh, gives the army, we believe, the right position to be in to be ready to face whatever may come and not be overcome by it. In fact, the writer will give them confidence that they don't need to fear anything that comes their way, such as the psalm here in Psalm 91. And that confidence will come, uh, as it were, from dwelling or abiding with God and trusting in him. That's where they'll draw this confidence from as they face whatever they may be facing back in that time, and the same for us today. So come with me as you look at Psalm 91, as we think about this abiding and dwelling with God and the confidence that it gives to us to be able to uh, face anything. To think about that today, though, I want us to think about also um, the year 2020. We are literally days away from that. And as I said before, it's really a whole new decade that uh, uh, starts for us. If I think about myself, the, the last decade has gone past 
very, very quickly. I look back and think, where have those 10 years gone? Uh, they have flown by. Anyway, this next decade, this next year sits upon us. And here are some of the questions I want us to ask as we think about that. What situations and what circumstances are we going to face next year or this next decade? What joys? What joys will we discover next year or this next decade? Or what hard things will we have to go through this next year coming or this next decade that is upon us? What's going to keep us and sustain us through 2020 and beyond? Here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. I believe in 2020 there will be times and seasons of joy and laughter and happiness. There really will be. Some of us here may get job promotions and will find new satisfaction in our work. Some of us here may buy our first home and be really, really excited about shifting into our very first home. Some of us here may even add to our families with new children born to us and that will be a joyful occasion. Some of us also in 2020 and the next decade coming along will celebrate milestones, anniversaries, birthdays with tremendous happiness. Some of us also in 2020 and the decade to come will graduate from education. We can finally put those books away and we can sort of launch into a job or a career. And we'll do that with a sense of achievement. I'm finally able to uh, complete what I started. Also this will happen. Some of us may even get married in 2020 or the next decade and form a new family. And this will be done in love and anticipation as that happens. For sure, I believe in 2020 there will be times and seasons of joy and peace and happiness. It's the experience of all of humanity to go through these times and these seasons and to experience these things. And thinking about that will make us feel life is just great when it is like that. Equally so, in 2020 and the next decade on, we will experience times and seasons of difficulty, hardship, pain, fear, uncertainty and grief. Some of us may lose our jobs this year, which will cause uncertainty. Some of us will go through very difficult relationships that will cause us much stress. Some of us may go through financial strain that will cause us all sorts of pressure. In 2020, some of us may feel very anxious and insecure about life and will see the world as a place of difficulty and our anxiety levels will rise and rise and rise. Some of us in 2020 or the next decade to come will receive a doctor's diagnosis of some serious medical issue that may even give us a limited time frame of life. This will cause us fear. And some of us may even have a loved one who is close to us die this next year or this next decade. And if that happens, it will cause us major grief. Now, I'm not a doomsday-sayer here as I say this, and I'm not prophesying these things over anybody's life or wishing these things upon anybody's life and to go through all these things. I just know that's how life is. That's just how it is. In my 53 years of life, every year has been like that to some extent. To some years, a greater extent of peace and joy and happiness, and to other years, a greater extent of hardship and trial and challenge. 
I've had great seasons of joy and happiness, but I've also had really difficult years of confusion and despair. So the question I ask is this, what is going to keep and sustain you and I through these years to come or next year, whatever it might be, in experiencing all those seasons, both the good and the bad, both the hard and the joyful? Sometimes some people choose to cope with these things by taking a holiday. If I just go on a holiday somewhat, that'll just sort of give me a distraction or a bit of a relief to, uh, from that pressure I'm facing. And if you've got the money to cover that, sure, that can help somewhat. Definitely can. Change of scenery can sort of make things sort of come into perspective. But often, though, even if we do take that holiday and have a time of respite and recalibration in life, we've still got to come back home and we've still got to face the issue we've sort of put on hold for maybe two or three weeks or a week. Sometimes, some people choose to do this if they're facing a challenging season of life. They choose to spend their way out of it. If I can just buy that new car, if I could just buy that new camping trailer, if I could just buy that new whatever, that'll just distract my mind and maybe think about something else and maybe get some joy out of something else in life other than thinking about this hard time or hard season that I'm going through. And sure, again, that new something will serve to distract my mind or to... deflect my focus somewhere else, but that will only last a short time. The new car or the new camping trailer or whatever that new something is eventually fades and my problems haven't gone away or the challenge hasn't gone away. I still need to actually be responsible and work my, through, work my way through that challenge or what, what that difficulty may be. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're thinking like that. Maybe you're already starting to think, I'm not sure I'm ready for 2020. I'm not sure I'm ready to face the next lot of challenge or difficulty in my life. Maybe this is the first time you've been to a church. Maybe this is the first time you've been to Exchange Church. We are super glad you're here. We love to have visitors come to Exchange. We want to tell them about Jesus Christ, the great source of hope that carries us through any season of life. So what's going to keep you? What's going to sustain you here in 2020 and the decade to come to face all the seasons of life? Big question really important question. The thrust of Psalm 91, which we've just read before, tells us exactly what we need to do to remain strong in 2020 and the next decade to come, no matter what comes our way, no matter what season we go through. If you look at these first uh, two opening verses here with me, verse 1 and 2, we see there where the psalmist begets our focus right from the start. Have a look there in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He's telling us here to look to God as our source of confidence for 2020 and the years to come, to put our focus upon him. And he's actually giving us here some of these different names for God as it were, giving us the many facets, or some of the many facets of God that we can see there. He says they're the Most High, he says they're the Almighty, and he says they're the Lord. All of these names he represent this lofty and unchallenging position of who God is and what, where he stands, as it were. The Most High represents this, this exalted position that God holds. He is the Most High God. He is the exalted one. And the Almighty represents here this supremely all-powerful one. He's almighty God. His power is limitless. 
And the Lord represents here the sovereign authority that God holds over this universe. Unchallengeable. He is the Lord. He is the sovereign authority of the universe. What's the psalmist trying to do here right off the bat? He's trying to give us a big view of who God is. A really big view of who God is. God's not something you put in your back pocket and you pull out when you're in a bit of trouble and sort of rub the bottle and then hopefully Jeannie pops out. He's giving us a really big view of who God is here. He's the Most High. He's the Almighty. He's the Lord. And then he's calling us here to take our refuge and our shelter in this God, in the Almighty, in the Most High, the Lord. He sees God as a fortress. He's like a fortress. It's a bit like a fortified castle that's unassailable, that nobody can get in, that's invincible, it's beyond the reach of any enemy. This is the God that the psalmist is bringing up to us here, this God who is impenetrable. Nothing can break in to where this God is and raid upon God and steal his goods. He's a fortress, he's impenetrable. He's mighty and he's bigger than what we could ever imagine. God is invincible. He's trying to paint this big picture of who God is. And now he's calling us to abide and to dwell with this God and to trust in him. Let's think about these thoughts as we think about abiding and dwelling and then trusting there as well. So what is it to abide or to dwell with God? Which is really key for us to understand here if we are going to um, successfully negotiate and navigate this next year, this next decade, uh, next decade before us. Because if we aren't going to know this God as our fortress, we have to know what it is to dwell with him and to put our trust in him. What is it to abide with someone or somewhere? It really means you are planning on hanging around for an extended period of time to abide somewhere, doesn't it? Like if I'm going to go to Melbourne for the weekend, I'm not really abiding there. I'm probably just down there for the weekend, I'm back again. To abide somewhere means I've got to be there for an extended period of time. I'm actually going to live with God. I'm going to be with God for an extended period of time. Also, if I'm abiding with somebody or somewhere, I'd also have to be in close proximity, wouldn't I? I couldn't really say I'm abiding in Melbourne if I'm still living in Shepparton. You need to be in close proximity. You need to be living close and doing this for an extended period of time, as I said, namely for the rest of my life in this idea of abiding and dwelling with God as we think about that. But initially, how do I abide or how do I dwell with God? God is spirit. I can't see him physically. So how do I abide and how do I dwell with this God in close proximity and for an extended period of time? To dwell with God, I have to understand some things. Firstly, only Jesus Christ makes it possible to dwell with God. There is no other way to dwell with God other than through Jesus Christ. My sin, my rejection of God, my rebellion before him has cut me off or separated me from God. I'm not abiding with him. My sin has actually cut me off and separated me away from God. Jesus, the son of God, the God-man we looked at at Christmas, came, became one of us and perfectly abided with God. Perfectly abided with God and then yielded that life up upon a cross to pay the price of our rejection, my rejection, my rebellion, so that I now could be reconciled and reconnected and that I could now abide with God. Only through Jesus Christ can that happen. 
So to abide with God initially, I have to believe the gospel. I have to believe who Jesus is. I have to believe the good news of the grace that he truly brings to us that reconnects me to now begin to abide with God. How do I maintain that abiding or that dwelling? Living in close proximity and living for an extended period of time, namely the rest of my life. How do I do this after Jesus has reconnected me? Well, there's three ways here I'm just going to quickly touch on that helps us to keep abiding with God. Now, none of this is rocket science. You're not going to sit there and say, well, I've never heard of that before. But it's all solid stuff. Actually, it's the tried and proven disciplines of grace that have helped people to abide with God for millennia, for thousands of years. Some things don't change. Some things don't need to change. If it ain't broke, it don't, don't fix it. At conversion, when we yield to the truth of who Jesus Christ is, God, by his Holy Spirit, abides in us. Now, that's another miracle all in itself. But the Spirit of God lives and abides in our heart. So to grow in this relationship or in this abiding with the Spirit, firstly, we need to keep growing in who God is. Just like if you're going to grow in any relationship with somebody, you get to know them and who they are, how they think, what they say. And primarily, this abiding starts by uh, knowing God through his unchanging word. Abiding and living with God through his eternal revealed word to us through the Bible. If you want to abide with God, we actually get into the word and we let it work deep in our hearts. In verse 14, you'll see that there. He says there, um, because he knows my name. Well, how do I know his name? I know his name through what the Spirit reveals to me through the scriptures. Because he knows my name. We feed ourselves on God's living and eternal word. That's the first key to abiding with God in this continual abiding. Secondly, we deepen our abiding with God through prayer. Nothing new. Tried and proven. It's been going for thousands of years. And it's never failed anybody. And it never will fail anybody. Prayer is how we abide with God. As we talk to God, the Spirit grows a deepening relationship with him that maintains us close to God. Verse 15, he says, he calls to me. Calling is talking to me, praying to me, calling out to me. We abide in a continual place with God through prayer, through relationship of just talking to God. Thirdly, to strengthen our continual abiding with God, to keep growing our connection with God, we walk in community with his people. We do. We stay connected to God through his people in community. As we remain connected with other followers of Jesus, this becomes a source of grace that God grows in our hearts to keep us focused and to keep us connected to God. This is why God calls together the body of believers to encourage, to comfort, to build up, to call to account, to help us, to support. It comes through the body of the believers. It comes through the community. As we commune together... We are abiding together in God through Christ. So I'm not going to talk much more about those. You've all heard them plenty of times before, but let me recap. If we want to be equipped to deal with 2020 and the next decade to come, we need to see God as our refuge. We need to abide with God through Jesus Christ and continue that abiding by his spirit through the Bible, through prayer, 
and connected to fellowship in community. And we see this last word here as we think about those things. This last word in verse 2 says trust. Trust. Trust in God. This ongoing, abiding relationship with God is a relationship of trust. Trust. What is trust? To trust something or somebody means to put my confidence in that person or that thing. I'm trusting in that person or I'm trusting in that thing. When I step onto an aeroplane, I'm trusting in a whole lot of things I can't see and I don't know about. As I walk up that gangway and step onto the plane, I trust that the pilot knows what he's doing. I've never met the guy before or the girl, if she's flying but I trust that they know what they're doing. I also trust that that plane has the power to perform the task. We, we may not be going through that in our mind, but that's, that's really what we're doing. We're trusting the pilot knows what he's doing, and we're trusting the plane's got the power to perform the task. We trust then with God that he knows what he's doing, and we also trust that he's, got the, that he's able to perform the task for us. And this trust... It's a glorious thing in many respects because when we see God, as it were, um, work things out in our lives, it's just great. It's just fantastic. We just see, God, you're amazing. You just sort of put all these things into place. I could never have done that, Lord. And you just feel great about it. Trust is a great thing. But the same trust is also a very scary thing. It's a very challenging thing as well. Because trust could also be a point of, I'm not sure what the ultimate outcome is going to be here. I've just got to trust myself to God. So you put yourself in a position of, I guess, vulnerability. I'm entrusting myself to you, Lord. I've actually, I haven't got full control of the situation and I don't know how it's going to work out. I've just got to trust you. So it goes both ways. It's great, but it's also challenging. Because we sort of like to be in control of our lives, to have our finger on the pulse, as it were. But when we're trusting somebody else, I'm not telling the pilot what to do or you know, putting the fuel in the, the, the jet engine. I'm trusting this is all outside of my control. I'm just here and it's happening. That's how it is. It's this trust of yielding ourselves confidently in God's sovereign ability to carry out his purposes in my life. So how does that look for us as we think about this psalm and think about this abiding, think about this dwelling and think about this trusting in God? Often we ask ourselves, well, what will God do? Because I don't know what the ultimate outcome is going to be here. That's a question that may roll around in my mind. Okay, God, what will you do here? Have a look at the rest of this psalm here as we see this because we see here in verses 3 to 13 uh, a few things. Surprising things perhaps. Verse 5, it says, you will not fear. He's telling the army and telling us today, you will not fear. Verse 7, everything will be falling around about you, but you'll keep standing. Verse 10, no evil or plague will come near you. Verse 11, angels will guard all your ways. Verse 13, you'll take on lions and snakes and overcome them. Well, I did overcome a snake a few weeks ago at the back door of our house, but... You'll take on lions or snakes and you'll overcome them. Looks really promising, doesn't it? Looks very positive. 
looks great. Is that your experience in life? Does your life reflect a trouble-free existence? Does no evil come anywhere near you? Does no plague or pestilence come near you? See, if you plucked Psalm 91 out of the rest of the Bible and just sort of stood it alone, you think, Life is all looked after. It's just going to be better roses. It's all just going to fall into place. If you pluck Psalm 91 out of the Bible and just read it on its own. You see, Psalm 91 needs to be read in the context of the whole Bible. Of the whole Bible. Not just on its own. Because the Bible tells me I live in a broken and fallen world. And we are subject to all of the curse that God has placed upon this world due to our rebellion before him. That's where we live. If you go through the Bible, ask Joseph in the book of Genesis and ask him, what was life like for him? Or go to Job in the book of Job and ask Job, what was life like for you, Job? Or go to the Old Testament prophets and ask those guys, what was life like for you? Or go to Jesus himself and say, Jesus, what was life like for you? Or go to Paul and the Apostles and ask them, how did things work out for you guys? Here's what they'll say to you. I had tremendous times of great joy and peace and happiness and laughter. I had had tremendous times of that. But I also had times of massive difficulty and challenge. And actually, some of them, they killed So we need to think about Psalm 91 here. What's, it sounds really good what I read in Psalm 91. But we need to think about that in the lens or the context of the whole Bible, not just sitting on its own. You see, we cannot read Psalm 91 there, as it were, and claim a soft, easy, free lifestyle that promises me no challenge or no difficulty or no grief. That's not what Psalm 91 is telling us there. We need to see Psalm 91 through the lens, as it were, of God's will, God's purposes, God's plan, what he wills to happen, what he purposes to happen, what he plans to happen. And I'm sure the army, as they read this psalm before they went out, went out with that attitude. They knew that God was um, sovereignly in control. They knew that they were entrusting themselves to God's will. When they faced battles, they would see it like this. God has called us out to battle today. We're going to be obedient to him. And while we are remaining close to God, we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. While we remain in his will, we can entrust ourselves to God that he has all things in hand. I'm sure they went out with that attitude. And this doesn't necessarily mean that the army went out and won every battle every time they went out. And that everybody returned back home again and not one person was killed or injured or hurt. Sometimes they may have been defeated. Sometimes they were defeated. But that's still okay if they're beaten on that day. It's still okay. Because it was God's will at that particular time for them to lose that particular battle. And in that, they still have nothing to fear. 
there's nothing to fear because they are still in God's will because they're abiding and they're trusting in God. Let's bring that back to our context as we think about that. So, I abide closely in God through his word, through prayer and through community. I trust that God holds all things in his hands and I entrust my life to God. With that attitude and belief and conviction, perhaps just like the army when they first read this psalm, I plan my life for 2020, abiding in God, trusting in God, seeing him as my refuge and my fortress. And I move into the year. And what do I have? I have seasons of joy, which are wonderful blessings of God. I rejoice in this time of peace and goodness. It's great. But I have other seasons as well during 2020 or the decade to come where things aren't going according to my plans, where things are seeming now a little bit dark and difficult in my life. Life seems to be closing in on me. It's a season of confusion. It's a time of testing. Testing my trust in God. Testing my knowledge of him. He's almighty. He's most high. He's the Lord. Let me say this about uh, my life and God. There's a whole lot of mystery with God and of our lives. There's a whole lot of mystery with God in our lives. There's a whole lot of things that we just don't understand. We have sometimes a whole stack of questions that we really can't answer. Like, why have I lost my job? I didn't want to lose my job. Why has that person turned on me when all I've done is love that person? Why has that person died so young? Well, why have I got this medical condition that is actually hampering me now? I've got so much more life to live. There's so many questions. There's so much mystery that surrounds God and surrounds our life. And these things all come to challenge and test our faith and our trust and our confidence moving into the next year or the next decade. But it's in that time of challenge, it's in that time of questioning that we've got to come back to God, remember who he is, and what he is doing. And as Sammy read for us before, there's a beautiful psalm there in Psalm 139. Let's look at verse 16 of that psalm. It says this, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, what? The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. See what the psalmist is saying there. God amazingly has planned out my life already. He's written every day of my life. They are formed for me when I was yet there was none of them. Before I'm even born, God has planned them and formed them. This season or this day that I find myself in of challenge or darkness or whatever it may be has not taken God by surprise. He's not sitting there, I didn't know this was coming. That's not God. He's planned our lives out. God actually formed this day. He's formed this season. He's overseeing this season. He's working in this season. And it's all part of his sovereign plan for my eternal good. And I can entrust myself to him. God can be trusted no matter how things look. Now for me, it's challenging to get that deep in my soul. Because the situations that I face are probably no different to what you face. They're tough and they're hard. So to get that down deep into my soul that God's planned all this out for me, I've got to walk closely with God. I've got to abide with him. That's what the psalmist is telling us here right from the start. 
to get this, you've got to walk closely with God. You've got to be in his word, you've got to be in prayer, and you've got to be in community. And then that, what that reinforces that God's written every day of my life. This has not taken God by surprise. He's working in this, he's changing me for my good, and he's doing this for his glory. And I get that as I walk closely with him and abide.